0: Hello, everyone, and welcome to a special Father's Day episode of the Best Pictures Podcast. Uh, I'm Ian, this is Maggie, and this week we have a special guest with us, Maggie's father,
1: David Kellett. Yeah, thank you for having me.
2: Of course. So we kind of thought we'd do this Father's Day special because I'm the one who introduced Ian to classic movies to get this project off the road, and my dad is the one who introduced me to classic movies. So... Dad, why, why were you into classic movies? Because you were not born in the 30s and 40s, but that is kind of your favorite era for movies.
1: Well, it is. Um, it really started um, growing up with the advent of cable television. Um, as I was growing up, you had over-air stations, and you had the three networks, and you might have a local public education station, and that was it. Um, so right at the turn of the 60s to 70s, cable Came out and all of a sudden, instead of having three, maybe four stations, we had 12 stations. And then you had um, WGN Chicago, which was a super station, and Turner, um, which is TBS, started out as, as, as a super station 17. And they started showing these old movies. And so in the evenings, if you didn't want to watch news or you didn't want to watch Bonanza, you watched the old movies. <laughs> and I found out that I really enjoyed those.
2: We're not actually doing one from the 30s or 40s for this, because other than 30s and 40s, like, screwball comedies, your favorite genre, I believe your favorite genre, is westerns.
1: Well, it's one of them, and um, you were talking about me introducing you. Uh, My father grew up in the Depression, was a World War II veteran, and westerns were his favorite. Um, He would go to the cinema, and they would have all the western reels, and so every time a western came on, I mentioned Bonanza because we did watch a lot of Bonanza.
2: <laughs> I was gonna say I know uh, that one was a popular one.
1: It was, and um, and so westerns I would watch with him, and so I do enjoy those.
2: Yeah, so I also watched a lot of westerns growing up. Ian did not. <laughs> No. And Ian has not had a ton of exposure to very good westerns because the only western we've had on, like I guess we're calling it the the canon episodes, the actual best picture winners Cimarron. was Cimarron, <laughs> which was great. the fourth best picture winner, and um it was flawed to say it kindly.
0: Yeah, I was not a huge fan, yeah. and generally, I don't have the same affinity for westerns, or at least I don't think I do.
2: We'll get you. So, there. but yeah, so we introduced that's mission now. <laughs> we introduced Ian to. Arguably the greatest American Western of all time, 1956, The Searchers, directed by John Ford and starring John Wayne. And I did not know this, but actually based on a 1954 novel by uh, Alan LeMay. But, you know, I called it the greatest American Western. I'm not just saying that. The American Film Institute also has called it the greatest American Western.
0: Come on, Maggie. You're not going to, like, be contrarian?
2: (laughs) (laughs) I very rarely go against the American Film Institute I know that there's evidence of me doing it in past episodes, but we're just <laughs> going to gloss over that. Um, it was also ranked number 96 on AFI's original Greatest Movies list, but on their 10th anniversary one, it jumped to number 12.
0: Jeez, so okay. I
2: think that's kind of an interesting take on, you know, how this one might have actually aged a little bit better than a lot of the older movies we see based on, I think, some of the themes. And um, we'll get into it more, but I think this is, there's still some things about it that are problematic, But it's very different from, I think, a lot of earlier Westerns in kind of the themes that it goes on and how Mm -hmm. it isn't as much of this like fantasy good guys versus bad guys kind of setup that you get, you know, in those earlier ones.
0: Yeah. So basically some of its portrayals were better than period films of the time not necessarily but,
2: perfect all around well but <laughs> still
0: it's still problematic better. even yeah. if it's better <laughs>
2: yeah I mean again this is 56 like we're only going to see so much progress right right it has actually been suggested that it was inspired by the actual 1836 kidnapping of Cynthia Ann Parker I did not do a ton of reading on that but um the basic plot summary of this film is that John Wayne is searching for his niece who was kidnapped by a um subset of a com- the Comanche tribe or a small group of uh, Comanches under this warlord uh, scar. So it's kind of this like cat and mouse game and stuff like that. Um, but that is it has been suggested that it was at least inspired in part by kind of this this true event.
0: I could buy it. Yeah. I mean, the broad strokes match, right? So
2: yeah. So but before we go into watch notes, since like our whole thing is Academy Awards and Best Pictures, um, this did not receive a single nomination. <laughs>
0: None.
2: I think it's an issue because we have a beautiful Max Steiner score and we all know how I feel about a Steiner score. You know, John Wayne did win his only Oscar for True Grit and I think it was 1969 or something. Late 1960s, which... Anyone who's seen that original True Grit, it's not his best work. Like, <laughs> no. Like, he deserved an Oscar, but I think he deserved it for The Searchers or The Quiet Man. Like, I think those are the movies he should have won an Oscar for. And he did, was not even nominated for this.
0: Well, I'll watch those and get back it to it. It was you,
2: cinematography. <laughs> it was not nominated for cinematography, which blows my mind. It is some of the most beautiful cinematography. And there are some incredibly iconic shots that we'll describe and I'm sure put stills up on the Instagram of. Um, but what did win that year? Around the World in 80 Days.
1: Around the World in 80 Days. Yep, that was the winner. Really?
2: With, with your favorite, David Niven.
1: <laughs> um, and and I enjoy that movie too. But it surprises me because you had John Ford, and I think this is one of John Wayne's best performances too. Um, in the cinematography, like like you you were talking about the shots, and especially the long shots, mm-hmm. and that's one of the things I like most about the movie. Um, you were mentioning that that it's the best Western or considered the best Western. But I think it's it's maybe the best movie about America because it captures the vastness of America. And then it deals with the main theme, race, which has always been America's biggest issue and biggest problem.
2: Well, and I think it's hard to find another genre that is just like an American genre than the Western, you know, for both the good and the bad, I think.
1: Well, I agree. And, And we are a frontier nation. I mean, we were founded as a frontier mm-hmm. nation and and that influence still carries through today. For sure. Definitely so, can see it.
2: Let's jump into Watch Notes.
1: Yeah, sounds good.
2: Which we've kind of already started doing, but
0: that's and fine. We, sort of did, <laughs> we always do this. Now we have the demarcation, right? <laughs> yeah. <laughs> so, Because um, I
2: want start, to start with the opening shot because this movie is bookended, like the cinematography bookends it in like the most beautiful way because it is a shot through the door of like this low prairie house and mm-hmm. you just see like the way they use shadow in this is amazing but you just see like the shadows of the doorframe and then just the open expanse of what is supposed to be texas but i believe believe this was filmed in probably like nevada and utah in that area i think that's where they did a lot of the filming for the john ford westerns
0: Yeah. Well, the rock formations don't look like they're from Texas, (laughs) to say the least.
2: But like, they're stunning for this movie. So and I think, you know, it's set in Texas. But at the same time, it's like, it's it's more than that. Like, it's set in Texas, but it's not about Texas.
0: Yeah. I struggle with how to like, summarize exactly what it's about. And I think that's more because I think on some level, it's supposed to be this kind of archetypical shifting in thought of the main not hero villain, but not villain John Wayne character <laughs> I don't even
2: know if he fully shifts in thought I think it's more about like racism and like the obsession with revenge and how like the obsession obsession with revenge can like consume a person and it can not only hurt them but the people around them mm-hmm. and it's just like you know it it barely stops him like Matt like killing his own niece basically right. in the end
0: well and I did I like To add some credence to that as well, I I did like the one line after the funeral for um, Martin's adoptive parents where the one woman is like, oh, don't let this ruin you. Don't don't you guys go out and die now sort of thing, which, again, like preaching that sort of temperance of the revenge mentality.
1: But I agree with Ian, too. To me, this is a movie that uniquely doesn't have villains and really no heroes. Um,
2: I would say Martin might be our hero, like he's kind of as close as we get to it, Um, which is interesting because, you know, and I will go ahead and we'll just go ahead and say kind of, I think the biggest problem with the film is that like, technically, you have main characters who are, you know, Not just white, but also Comanche or like Martin's supposed to be part Cherokee and stuff. So theoretically, Mm -hmm. you have like this diverse set of characters, but like all of the main actors are white. Even the actor playing Chief Scar is a German-American actor. And you
0: can tell he is very, very white. And I think
2: some (laughs) of the like background players actually look like they might be Native American, but, like, it's not the main character. So, like, the casting is still, like, whitewashing it, which, like, Mm -hmm. again, it's 1956. Like, Mm -hmm. it, I would be shocked if they didn't in that era. But you don't, like, the fact that Scar, who kind of is, like technically you would think at least in the stereotypical western is going to be like your big bad but like they give him motivation for what he does and like Mm -hmm. you understand why he's angry and like why he would do the things he does like it's not like he's he's technically your villain but he's not really a villain and like the main character of john wayne's ethan is like Mm -hmm. he's bad person and they make it very clear like this guy's not a good guy
0: Yeah. Well, and that is what I appreciated with the movie too, is kind of contextualizing all of the different characters' motivations and, I guess, beliefs to some extent. So that, that sort of development I haven't seen too much in a while.
2: No. And I think so. it, I think it's very, very rare in Westerns before this era. Because to some extent, I feel like at least the early Western genre to me, it reminds me a lot of fantasy where you're like, this is not actual history. Mm-hmm. Like, this is just like a fun story where like, I get to root for someone and against someone. But like, it's not actual, accurate portrayals of history. And I mean, this isn't 100% accurate either, but it feels a lot Closer to kind of like a gray area mm-hmm. truth to me than other westerns.
1: Well, see, and and I don't see much nuance or or much gray to me. All the characters are very sharp and and, and very narrowly defined, mm-hmm. which I think adds to the tension of the movie. Like you have John Wayne and Scar, but to me they're the same character mm-hmm. basically. Yeah. They, a, they are. They are. Sizes. They're the
2: same. They're the same person. They're just on different sides of this conflict.
0: Oh, that and so I didn't quite connect that dot. I've never thought about it that way. It's added a whole bunch more to how I'm viewing this movie. Cause it really is about both of these characters had their families killed off by the other side. And so now they are seeking revenge on the other side.
2: <laughs> and they both very they both have like zero tolerance for the other side too, right. pretty much. And it's like, yeah.
0: Oh. And basically that's, that's because
2: awesome. of the two of them and their mentalities everybody else kind of gets screwed over
0: oh that's good as an aside how would we like to go about this Because <laughs>
2: um i guess we kind of talked about the main theme so i get maybe loosely chronologically okay or, or go to
0: okay so maybe organize it into the pre-attack on the homestead Post sure. it and then sure. just go yeah. from there. Because I mean, okay.
2: the the pre-attack, it basically like we're just setting up our characters, right? So we have like Ethan's sister and her husband. We meet little Debbie, who is the girl who's going to be kidnapped. Um, mm-hmm. We meet Lucy, who's the older sister, uh, and we meet John Wayne's Ethan, where he's coming back from the Confederate uh, side of the Civil War. He was a Confederate soldier, and through
0: and through. Yes,
2: yes. <laughs> um, and. <laughs> It's implied that he like robbed something because he's got all that newly minted Yankee gold because at mm-hmm. that time, because Texas obviously seceded. And so once the Civil War is over, any of the currency the Confederacy printed or created like mm-hmm. is worth it's absolutely worthless. So like the fact that he's coming back with like actual US government money, as well as a lot of it, as well as newly minted a lot of it, it's like a little suspicious. So like they're very early setting up that like John Wayne maybe not the hero in this one.
0: Well, I do want to highlight too how the score, especially enforced, like reinforced that sort of uh, 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 characterization of John Wayne's character, because that that's one thing that in as maggie put it our canonical like best picture winners i think we're just starting to see how score is being used to augment what the dialogue and the staging and especially the directing decisions within some of these scenes are telling us in that these characters are you know seedy don't really want to be on their side but hey they're taking care of their own so there's maybe there's some conflict there but the way the score turned very dark in that spot there was great and i that Pattern has happened throughout this film, so yeah. I, I really appreciated that.
2: Um, they always have do a little bit of that too. When there's like the tension between Martin and Ethan, because we're also introduced mm-hmm. to Martin, who is I, what I say is he like a quarter Cherokee, eighth. an eighth Cherokee, something like that. But Ethan like constantly comments on it and is like, "You're not actually like he's he calls him Uncle Ethan, and he's like, "I'm not your uncle." Um,
0: and then he tries to call him sir. Don't call me sir.
1: Yeah.
2: Yeah. So th- we're already dialogue. setting up like the tension between the two of them.
1: Well, and, and Ethan's reaction is immediate. Yes. You know, when, when Martin comes in and you were talking about the opening scene with the doorway and you have the security of of the home stepping out into the world. Well, when Martin shows up, you see him show up through the doorway. Too. Yeah. <laughs> He's coming out of the world in but as i mentioned it's not a subtle movie so neithers no, no, no. reaction is immediate to <laughs> yeah. to martin
0: and i totally agree that it is not subtle i oddly so sometimes i can be really put off by what i view as sometimes overacting or like be, the director beating us over the head with their message I but do well there were parts so the scene where we know what's about to go down with the homestead.
2: I actually really like that scene. Because, no, 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 no. I
0: love the scene, but yeah. the older daughter's like some of her I reactions lo- were just I actually,
2: so, so i like the scream <laughs> i like the scream because what So you have the the of who the reverend who I love mm-hmm. the character of the reverend who is of like the head of the texas rangers of mm-hmm. come to the homestead they're basically like some people have been raided we need to go look out to at this we're also introduced to lucy the older daughter's Mm -hmm. boyfriend brad brad Jorgensen, and like his parents um
0: oh that's how they're connected yes (laughs) i have issues remembering characters names so but yep it it, yeah anyway i get that now thank Um,
1: you no problem but so
2: uh all the guys except for i guess like ethan's brother-in-law go to like track down their like we're pretty sure. Well, actually, they don't know who it is at first. And they discover it's a band of Comanches and they realize it's a war party. They're not just stealing cattle. So they're like, well, these are the two closest homesteads. Break up and go it's see. To each. Yeah, let's go see which one either has been attacked or if they can stop it. And then it cuts back to Ethan's family's homestead. And I like the way they set this up where, like, the mom and dad are realizing that, like, something's off. And then they see, like, the flickers in the night of, like, the war party signaling to each other. Mm -hmm. And they're, like, you can tell that they're panicking and they're scared, but they're, like, trying to keep it together. And they're just, like, giving instructions. Like, Lucy's, like, oh, Lucy does not know what's going on. She's, like, should we get a lantern? And they're, like, no, no, no. We uh, don't need a a lantern yet. It's all good. (laughs) And then... Lucy brings in the lantern. The mom freaks out, blows it out, and that's when Lucy realizes what's happening, and she screams. And then they get little Debbie out the window to go hide in the graveyard.
0: Yeah. So to talk, I really do want to like focus on this scene a lot because the the lighting decisions in this one were the very first thing that I noticed. And again coming back into Technicolor more from the black and white films, which I love black and white, but now seeing how they're able to layer on these really ominous reds and oranges in the lighting that immediately gives you that like really sinister feeling again, coupled with the score that's building that whole ambiance of like dread and the performance of the mother, especially in this was fantastic because the way that we're able to tell subtly that she is so off uh, like on guard on about what's going to happen is just Perfect. So I I got chills in this scene because it was so well done. So well done.
2: When we get like another really great use of shadow, when you have Debbie kind of hiding behind her grandmother's tombstone and Mm -hmm. you just see the shadow of scar kind of go over her in the tombstone. And then we cut and we get to see scar.
1: (laughs) But I like that scene too. And I like the patience of it. Mm -hmm. Like you see them locking up, you know, you see the lights, um, you see the parents reaction. And so when Lucy goes off, it's very dramatic. But for me, it just builds tension so well. Yeah, and um,
0: they make you wait, but the payoff is
1: well. Yeah,
2: which like is scarier almost yeah. than like if they had just been attacked. Like the fact that they know they're about to be attacked, and they're so clearly outnumbered, and like they're not going to be able to take out like a skilled group of fighters. Like
1: mm-hmm. well, they take their time, yeah. you know. And, yeah. and that's one thing that. That I really like about classic movies you were asking me about. They take their time. Mm-hmm. You know, they develop the, the story and they develop the scenes. Mm-hmm. Yeah.
0: And so it's pretty, we get a fade to black, so they spare us all of the...
2: It's not a gory movie it, at it, all. No, not at but all. But there is a lot of implied violence.
0: Because mm-hmm. you immediately come into Martin and um, Uncle Ethan coming back to the homestead. And we see them before we see the homestead. And... One, their reactions immediately have you understand what's going on.
2: Well, and then we get the beautiful door framing again, mm-hmm. but it's like kind of juxtaposed to that beautiful beginning shot because you have Ethan standing in the like collapsed doorway and he just like goes in and then just stops. So like, you know, whatever he saw was horrific mm-hmm. and then he comes out and like Martin tries to go and he's like, don't let him go in. Don't let him go in. And you just know that like, whatever it is, it's horrible. Yeah. Like they don't have to show you like you just know it's terrible.
0: And they do this a couple times with Ethan's character throughout the film, and it works really well every time. So yeah. I'm appreciated that kind of uh, repetition of how he's trying to save Martin's like sensitive mm. constitution from innocence. like really horrific it's stuff.
2: Like he's trying to preserve his innocence. Yeah. A little
1: bit. Well, and it shows there is a basic humanity there because mm-hmm. mm-hmm. until that point, you don't see much humanity out of right. Ethan.
2: Yeah, yeah. That like he's not he like he's not a complete monster. It's like the same with Scar. He's just like they're not a complete. They're not complete monsters. <laughs> like they are human beings, but they're not good people.
0: Yeah, yeah. So from that point, this is when we start getting into the whole what becomes. I discover at the end of the film a 5 year saga to try and find.
2: They do a really good job of like moving across geography and time I think. Like they well, they give you I think a good sense of like a lot of time has elapsed like um
0: See, I'm not sure I got a lot of time cuz the 5 year thing came as a shock to me. I was like, okay, this happens over the period of like a year or two and then i'm like oh my god 5 years but like, what, what happened in but, this time but,
2: but like you don't need to see the 5 years like them just being like it's been 5 years you're like oh dang and it puts a lot of stuff in perspective but i also mm-hmm. didn't like there there isn't a ton of action in this movie a lot of it is just them chasing down scar mm-hmm. and it's like you don't get a lot of chase scenes you get like a couple of small shootouts but nothing like major so i you know i don't need more of them walking through woods and like riding through woods like i got the perfect amount to have like beautiful scenes in cinematography and to understand that like time is passing because like there's them riding across like the the plain or the desert and then it's them riding across it through snow and like them in these woods while it's snowing like i i don't know i feel like that's i'm just dense and i
0: didn't get that that was a change of season
1: (laughs) But I thought um, the characters being so strictly and sharply defined is what it allows that to, to carry the tension throughout. Mm-hmm. Because you don't realize it's a five-year quest. Right. You know, there's not a lot of filler. There's, there's mm-hmm. nothing outside. Everything's, you know, very in-your-face, very immediate.
0: So to go back to Maggie's point about there not being much action, the next big scene that I really enjoyed was um, after they had gathered the party to go and search for debbie
2: yeah and this is still um, early in their in their search yeah very like, early yeah. in their
0: search um but i believe this was still with the sheriff preacher mm-hmm. and they end up kind of riding through this like kind of low-lying area and you there's
2: like a ridge on either mm-hmm. side this is like one of the most beautiful scenes it in the it is movie.
0: so you see and the... talk about
2: building tension yeah around.
0: you see like one comanche comanche on horseback pop up over the hill And then you're like, okay, this is interesting. And then the whole And then you see yeah, you see like
2: four or five and they start just like like the like we'll call them more like settler party, I guess, or Mm -hmm. just continue going, but like they're watching and the comanche party on the ridge is just following them on the ridge but no one's really making a move and then they look over to the other side and there's another comanche party following them on the opposite ridge and everyone again like everyone knows what's about to happen the preacher uses his bandana to like tie his top hat on that was because there's some like there's some nice little comedic stuff in this too uh which i think is nice but yeah and then they're like okay everybody ready go and then it's just like mad dash to the river because if they can for the river first and the settlers can get to the other side of the river then they're in a good position to defend themselves Mm -hmm. so yeah that's our first little shootout that we get but again like it's not like it's nothing hugely major and again we get this like bit like hey Ethan not a great guy because like the Comanche are retreating and he's continuing to shoot and even like like the reverends like let them get their hurt and dead like they're, they're not coming for us like stop
0: yeah And he does it anyway. Yep. (laughs) So, yeah, it's, uh, again, not a great person. I don't think we can hammer that home enough.
1: (laughs) Well, no, but but it shows the determination and -hmm. the fact. And you talked earlier about the um, implication that he was stealing, you know, um, union money or Mm -hmm. government money. Um, But they set it up early. Ethan's still fighting. You know, yeah. he's not accepting loss. Well, I think um, he
2: even says something about when they wanna swear him into the Rangers, he's like, Well, oh, I only took one oath and it was like to the Confederacy and so did you like he's he's got like a moral code, but it's like a really twisted moral code. Yeah.
1: Well and when the Comanche's are retreating, he's still fighting. I yeah. mean he's mm-hmm. not gonna stop. He's not gonna accept loss, he's not gonna stop. Mm-hmm. And I think that sets up the five year quest. You know, yeah. he's not going to quit.
2: He's not he's not gonna quit, no matter what.
0: Then they split, and that's when we get the canyon scene. So,
2: okay. okay. Oh, yeah. Because, um, one of the sellers is injured. So we have Ethan and Martin and Brad going off on their own to continue the search. Yeah. And everyone else is like, let's, let's gather our resources, let's regroup.
0: Let's not be foolish and determined in a way that is ultimately (laughs) detrimental yeah but they they end up tracking the band through like some canyon areas and they split off because a group of them went one way another group went another way
2: they were like oh it looks like four of the comanche party split off Mm -hmm. and went through this canyon like i wonder why and i don't know if i was reading into this because i know like knew what happens but i was like you i thought you could kind of tell on like ethan's face that like he had an idea of why that they might've split off. And that's why he's like, I'll go and I'll meet you two on the other side.
0: I don't think I got that from him, but I did get the feeling that something bad was about to happen again, because of the way they set up with the soundtrack. Um And some of the, the shots that they were using just kind of gave it a very
2: mm-hmm.
0: kind of scary feel. Um And that's where, again, because I'm not a very experienced Western film (laughs) viewer, like not having the payoff of seeing all of them going through this supposedly like dangerous, treacherous part of the land was kind of odd. So immediately cutting to them on the other side of the Canyon and then having Ethan ride up, I was kind of like, Whoa, what, what just happened? But once I was able to see how Ethan was reacting to what he had seen like because we don't c- know what he's seen oh, yeah, yeah like when he no first clue. gets
2: there we just know he's crazy upset and whatever he saw really bothered him yeah so that that sort of suspense initially was great yeah. so
0: again as you said the suspense is really great in this film <laughs> yeah
2: but what, what happens is then brad goes on lookout and he comes back and he's like i saw lucy She was like, I recognized the dress she was wearing. And that's when it comes out that Ethan's like, you didn't see Lucy. Like, I found Lucy dead in that canyon. And like, I buried her. And like, they say something about like, they're like, oh, you lost your coat. Mm -hmm. He's like, oh, yeah, yeah, I must have lost it in the canyon. But it's like, because he wrapped Lucy in the coat to bury her. And that's when Brad just gets angry and then just rides into the middle of a camp and all we have is like a still shot. And this is all at night, too. So we're uh, using a night lens. Well, yeah. um, <laughs> but uh, we just have like this still shot of like Ethan holding Martin back. So again, there's like like he he cares enough to not let Martin run in and get killed. But like he still doesn't like Martin. Like it's like mm-hmm. this weird, very weird relationship between the two of them. Um, but, but he's like holding Martin back and we just hear like several gunshots mm-hmm. and then they end. and we And that again... was
0: Brad Jorgensen that ran in. Yes. Correct. OK, good.
2: Lucy, Lucy's boyfriend.
1: Yeah. I'm surprised y'all skipped over the scene where Ethan shoots the eyes out. Oh, I forgot oh, about yeah. that.
2: Yeah, that's like super early on when they're still with the big party. But yeah, they find um, a dead member of the Comanche party and they're saying like, oh, it's odd that they didn't like try and hide him from us, which means they're not scared of us following. But I think it's Brad gets mad and like throws a rock at it of like the body or something. And then Ethan's like makes some comment and then shoots the eyes out. Saying that, like, because everyone else is like, why why did you do that? And he's like, well, because in the Comanche's religion, that means he can't pass on to the next side, which is like the most spiteful thing yeah. to do. But it also sets up this thing that, like, Ethan is actually the one who has the most knowledge about the Comanche. And mm-hmm. there's like a weird almost respect for it like he never underestimates them like he understands kind of I guess who his like quote foe is and Scar demonstrates some of it too in that like Scar knows English and like mm-hmm. they, it's almost like they've studied each other as opponents in a weird way but it's like I don't know like, e- like Ethan has so much hatred but also has actually gathered some intel knowledge almost. about their culture <laughs> yeah it's like he's done intel on them almost it's it's weird.
1: Well, and what I like about that scene, too, is is it's not enough for Ethan that the Comanche is dead. Mm-hmm. You know, that's not good enough for him. He wants to mess him up in, in the spirit world or the afterlife. But the other thing, too, is is I like that it shows that Ethan just doesn't hate singularly. It's not just the Comanches. He has a disdain for all convention because if you remember the line, the preacher says, what good does that do? And Ethan says, by what you preach nothing. But by what the Comanche believes, mm-hmm. um, so he's showing disdain for the preacher, he's showing it's disdain for, you know, just normal conventions. Is there I anyone? Mean, he's Ethan, a true outsider.
2: Is there anyone Ethan does like? <laughs>
1: Martha, but then she's long gone. Yeah. Mm-hmm.
2: Yeah. I guess Ethan basically has no one. All he's got is his hate driving him at this
0: point. I mean, I feel like he has some Which I think drive of self-preservation. We'll, we'll get
2: but, there, but I think it puts the end of the film in a lot of perspective, too.
0: Oh, The fact yeah. that all
2: he has left <laughs> is this hatred.
0: And so what is he going to do now? Exactly. Yeah. Interesting. So... Now we're fi- we're getting into um, meeting the Jorgensen family. So again, Brad Jorgensen. Um, this
2: is where we get a little bit of our comedic relief. And this is where goodness, we kind of get point. the idea that even more time has passed because Martin and um, Ethan go up to the Jorgensen place and they're like, you got our letter. And Mr. Jorgensen is like, yes, about this time last year. So we understand it's been quite a while since Brad died.
0: Mm-hmm. And so we get introduced to, I know at least, maggie and my favorite well one of our favorite characters probably Lori. my favorite character like i think
2: ethan is a very interesting character but i don't particularly like him Lori, i like she cracks me up <laughs> But and like her and martin's relationship is like that's our comic relief
0: yeah well and again with how well this movie does introductions Lori immediately runs out of the house and like places a big old kiss on martin (laughs) in a way that i was like wow okay did not expect that (laughs) but um to go back just a little bit there were again those parallels with some of the shots um from the inside of the jorgensen jorgensen house to the large like expanse of the plains um that again i really really liked that that parallel structure of how you're introducing these new people and kind of showing that we're safe in here but like all these people from outside what are they going to do don't really know um, and there's not a huge
2: barrier between like what's safe and what isn't
0: no (laughs) um
2: i also like there's a small line where ethan says something about how uh jorgensen's been running his cattle with jorgensen's cattle and martin and says you mean debbie's cattle which i think is like you're already starting to get this sense that Debbie's kind of dead to Ethan at this point. Like it's Mm -hmm. not really for him. It's not really about rescuing Debbie anymore. Whereas for Martin, like that's his entire thing is he's like, we're still going to like go get Debbie. Like we're gonna find Debbie. And like, that's Debbie's cattle. Like, what do you mean? It's your cattle. Whereas Ethan, I think has already, that's our first hint that he's kind of made that, that shift.
1: Mm -hmm.
0: And this is also when we get, the first of martin's harumphs (laughs) (laughs) martin harumphs a lot in this film he like throws a fit pulls the blanket over his head rolls over and goes to bed (laughs) that i at that point i noted every time he harumphed because they were pretty hilarious
2: (laughs) Yeah. and um i i loved too. so again for like reasons that i love laurie so this is where ethan's also trying to convince martin not to come with him anymore so he's like, Jorgensen will take you on, like, it's a good job, all this stuff. And Martin's like, uh, no, and later tells Laurie, like, part of the reason he's still going is because he's afraid of what Ethan's going to do when Ethan finds Debbie. He's like, mm-hmm. I think he might kill her. Um, And so Lori's really upset, doesn't want Martin to go, and then... He finds out that Ethan left without him. And he's like, no, I got to go after him. And Lori's so upset. But she's like, here's this letter. I stole it for you. And then he like can't read very well. So <laughs> then she's like, fine, just give it to me. I'll read it. But she's like not happy about it at all the entire time. And I thought the actress is Vera Miles. And I thought she was really, really good in that scene. And she like goes and gets him like her own horse. But again, she's not happy about it at all.
0: Oh, yeah. And the way they, the way they tie that up with her draped over the fence and – obviously very unhappy and then martin just speeds by on the horse behind just a gorgeous gorgeous shot of her and the way that that kind of bookended that whole scene was was great but we did gloss over a whole bunch of development between martin and Lori, um like with the bathing scene and then even the next morning some of the, the interactions that they had um so I, I do want to call out that those are some really well constructed well shot scenes mm-hmm. even if we didn't like delve into them yeah So now Ethan and Martin are again on the road doing their thing. They have a lead now where they, uh, Jorgensen mother apparently has found, got a letter where it's like a scrap of cloth saying that, Hey, if this is the person you're looking for's clothing, come find me here. I'll give you some Intel. There'll be presumably some reward that this person who's giving the Intel is going to get all that sort of stuff. So it's immediately set up as something that's kind of seedy. Which again, I appreciate that they at least gave you that payoff in yeah. in the next major like uh, next major like conflict that Ethan and Martin have to go through.
2: Yeah, um, and they kind of pay the guy a little bit of the reward, and they're like, well, you know, it pans out. You'll get the rest. That guy and some of his friends come and try and kill them as they sleep at night. Which Ethan uses Martin as bait. I love. He it. lets Martin just harumph to sleep. He's like building up the fire. And stuff. Martin's like, why are you doing this? Like, it's it's so hot right now. And Ethan's like, well, I'm old. I get cold. Like,
1: and then just
2: like puts a blanket over his saddlebags, goes hides. And when the guys like come shoot at Martin, then he shoots them. This was like, so like his plan works, but also like (laughs) he used Martin as bait.
0: (laughs) I'm okay with it. Because again, it's setting, it's remaining consistent with the two characters, like views of stuff ethan defaults to thinking something bad is going to happen martin is like this innocent it's going to be fine we'll get through it i'm not worried about anything sort of person so uh, again really really good scene to reinforce how each of them views the world and views this quest that they're going on and
2: that ethan's while he won't intentionally harm martin is not also above putting martin in harm's way although i do like the line where martin's like what if they'd shot me and Ethan was like, or he goes, what if you'd missed? And Ethan's like, the thought never crossed my mind. <laughs>
0: <laughs> yeah, I will say, I will say they have some superhuman marksmanship in this film. It's,
2: it's a little like um, the stormtrooper school of shooting sometimes when like the, except they don't miss like the stormtroopers party, it, well, <laughs> When the Comanche party is shooting at like Ethan. Oh,
0: oh yeah, yeah, yeah. But
2: Ethan has like the, the like quote, superhero uh aim i guess um though i will have to say i do appreciate that um they do have the comanche parties having guns which like would have been historically accurate because i think in a lot Mm -hmm. of westerns they usually just have like the native american war parties just using bows and arrows a lot of the time and like by that point like because this is set in what 1868 i think Mm -hmm. is when it was so like supposed to be three years after the civil wars ended like They would have been trading like there was a lot of trade and business going on between like the Native American tribes and like the settlers and stuff like it wasn't like there was a contentious relationship, but there was also like a business relationship. So it's more complicated, you know, and so I do to appreciate that they like actually had them using like the technology that would have been like the technology that they would have had access to due to like the trading and they have them going to like trading posts to get information and stuff like that.
0: Definitely agree. So the next sequence of film I, uh, sequence of this film, I think is best summarized. as kind of like this interplay between the Jorgensen family reading the letter, summarizing it. And then we get these vignettes of the action actually happening. Yeah. Um, which I, I actually really liked that kind of narrative structure there. Cause we had gone through very chronologically with them and giving this kind of outside view of things, um, I, I think was interesting and definitely helped keep yeah. the Jorgensen's involved in a way that well, I we think also, was important.
2: We very clearly get Martin's thoughts on what's happening, but then we're also getting like the Jorgensen's commentary on what's happening. Cause we meet Laurie's other suitor, Charlie, who, <laughs> Oh my. That's all I have At to say. At least he can sing.
0: Beautiful singing voice.
2: <laughs> Every time he talked, I wanted to bang my head against a wall. Um, but he also when he like comes to visit, he has this letter for Lori that's from Martin. And I love when her dad goes, Oh wow, two letters in a year and I was like, Oh my god, they're so isolated.
1: Yeah. <laughs> One thing I like about that is, is Mr. Jorgensen it repeats uh several times that that his wife can read, that she's a good reader because mm-hmm. she's a teacher. Yeah. And I just found that very touching. Mm-hmm. And it's a movie that doesn't have, you know, touching moments in it. Yeah. But so that one just kind of jumped out at me, the, his pride and his wife's accomplishment. Yeah. yeah.
2: The Jorgensen's have like, it's very subtle and it's not like a, the center of anything, but they have like a very nice relationship. And I think, you know, with with all the hatred, a lot of the main characters are slinging around. It's nice to see just like a nice relationship. Well, they're
1: decent people. Yeah. And that's a contrast. I mean, that's a major contrast yeah. with the rest of the movie.
2: For sure. Um, but then, and I do like how everyone's like, Lori, read the letter out loud because everyone's just so excited that somebody got a letter and Lori's kind of like, I don't really want to read this letter letter out loud. (laughs) It's my letter.
0: But her immediate, you you get more of Lori, which I, I just loved how she doesn't get past the greeting of the letter because... Martin has misspelled her name.
2: Yeah, yeah. She's like, he spelled it with a Y, not an (laughs) E-I.
0: And the the close-up on her being so perturbed was just so pretty. And one thing that this film does a lot is have some very low angles on their shots. And I don't know how they make all the actors look so good.
2: From a low angle. Exactly.
0: (laughs) But this was one perfect example of how they were able to pull off this kind of odd shot. But then... It's just pretty to look at and makes everybody look so great in in the movie.
2: Yeah. But that's when we find out that Martin acts accidentally because
0: this whole thing. Oh, my God. I
2: don't know if in these five years of like running around with Ethan, he somehow managed to not learn any of the Comanche language or any of the native language at all.
0: Or really anything at all. <laughs> at
2: all. And I'm like, "Man, that would have been a really useful thing for you to learn and you've got someone here who can help teach you." Although I'm not sure if Ethan would have been like super enthusiastic about teaching him, but like yeah, he accidentally trades for a wife.
0: This see like this sequence kind of bothered me like a lot.
2: It's a weird sequence.
0: Well, and I think it 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 kind of relies on a well, it it does. It doesn't. Kind of. It relies on the stereotype that oh, you can accidentally trade yourself into a wife with, like the Native Americans, which, I, yeah, that that, that just
2: this is this is where you no, definitely no. got like <laughs> some of the the stereotypes, like mm-hmm. the older stereotypes, mm-hmm. in there with like the sequence and like the fact that like the chief guy like is so excited about the hat. Like, the hat's the bestseller. Although, I was, like, thinking about it, and I was like, well, of course, because you're running around in the sun all the time. Like, I would think, yeah, the hats would, yeah. like, practically, that would make sense to me. But that's not how it's framed in the, in the film. It's supposed to be kind of comical, and I don't yeah. think it's a very comical situation. Oh, no, I
1: mean, it was meant to be funny. And in 1956, it probably was to mm-hmm. that audience, but... um Thankfully we've progressed. (laughs) Yeah. It doesn't,
2: that's, that's one of the supposedly comedic elements that I don't think ages well with this movie. I think there's a lot that does age very well. Mm -hmm. I, that is definitely not one of them.
0: Yeah. As, as I think we had said multiple times when watching it, like the portrayal of native Americans is extremely problematic (laughs) throughout Mm -hmm. the whole film. And so this was a, a particularly problematic place. Um, And then even their treatment of this woman who supposedly Martin traded for as a wife. It's one of those things
2: where like Ethan's uh, treatment of her, I don't think is surprising given the setup that we've gotten from his character. Martin's treatment of her really disappoints me. me. And I think Uh, the way they frame the scene is that it's a lot of it's fueled by Martin's frustration with Ethan Mm -hmm. But, like, that doesn't mean you take it out on this poor woman. Exactly. No, no. But I
1: I do think it's Martin's reaction to Ethan because Ethan's laughing at him. Yeah. And enjoying him. Yeah. And, you know, Martin's had enough of that.
2: Yeah. Mm -hmm. And while this whole story is being told, because they question her about Scar, and them questioning her about Scar terrifies her. um, Because we, we don't get much of Scar except for told through other people's reactions to him. Mm-hmm. And so, like, the fact that she's reacting so negatively to him and, like, when they're at the trading post and Martin says something about Scar and Ethan's like, shut your mouth, like, learn when to be quiet, you get the idea that Scar is very much feared, not just by the settlers, but within, like, the wider community as well. And so that, like, he's even, kind of like Ethan, a little bit of an outcast from, like, his own people mm-hmm. because of this, like, intensity in this hatred and again with the idea of them being kind of like parallel characters um but while that entire sequence with uh the the wife i guess is happening you have like laurie and the jorgensen's commentary and at one point he's like she's not near as old as you and laurie just goes how (laughs) old does he think i am and like (laughs) You also get a lovely reaction with her because he signs the letter like respectfully yours, and she's she's like respectfully yours. Like she's very like clearly still upset about this.
0: Yeah, she did she did a bang up job with with her character's reactions and how she acted them out. So I'm <laughs> I am team Laurie all the way. Yeah. So fortunately, um, the supposedly Native American wife of Martin nopes the hell off after they really like. I wouldn't say they rough her up, but they're they're like
2: they scare her. They, scare they her. really yeah. scare her.
0: Um, which I'm I'm glad she left. Like she didn't need to be party to that. Um but we get some additional scenes where we see some of the devastation of some uh Native Americans too. I don't know if they were yeah, supposed it was to be an, Comanche or um,
2: I think it was Comanche. I'm gonna assume Comanche. I thought it was Comanche, but I don't remember if they said it explicitly or not. But, it, but it's also kind of this, like, idea of that, like, oh, yeah, guess what? They're not necessarily the bad guys because this is also happening to their They're settlements, middle. too. Like, it's, which I think is a very, it's a very small thing, but I think it's very important in the idea that, again, like, it's not a perfect portrayal by any means. But that is, I think, very different from a lot of other Westerns that you're yeah. actually getting the idea that, like, oh, yeah, also innocent people on the other side dying as well.
1: Right. Yeah. Well, I mean, it's a it's a true conflict. It's yeah. a conflict between cultures and peoples-
0: mm-hmm. you could make arguments well never mind I'm not gonna get into that I mean yeah like it's
2: <laughs> it's from like one it's very size perspective yeah. but like I don't know I've having watched so many westerns especially early westerns mm-hmm. like seeing something like that portrayed at all is very different and very new and yeah. I think kind of what sets this movie apart um Better, but we also but they find <laughs> they find martin's uh wife she's dead there and i i do like that they're like uh ethan like puts the blanket over her too Mm -hmm. like when they find her and like martin is angry like he's like she'd never hurt anybody so like why would they kill her so like there is still (laughs) there's a little bit of like anger there and and i think kind of especially seeing ethan like put the blanket over her is very interesting and very touching and kind of unexpected from him
0: yeah i think that is supposed to again have a show that maybe he is making some or having some different thoughts than he did at the beginning. Now, whether or not he actually becomes a quote-unquote better person at the end of the film, I'm not so Or maybe it's the of.
2: idea that it's like he has this hatred towards this group of people, but it's like he has a hatred towards a concept and then like individually Scar, but as far as like at least that one person is an individual, mm-hmm. he was like, I have no beef with you kind of deal. Like, you know, kind of almost like... You'll have people who have like horrible ideas about groups of people, but they're like, "But I'm friends with someone who's a member of that group because that's the person who they know individually, and somehow they can't expand that out."
1: Mm -hmm. Right.
2: (laughs) So I think maybe, maybe like that's a little bit of that, or I don't know. Maybe I'm like reading too much into it, but I feel like that and him like putting the blanket over her in contrast to the scene right before where he's just spitefully shooting buffalo Mm -hmm. because he and Martin need meat. Okay. Kill one buffalo. Ethan's, like, trying to take out as much of that heart as he possibly can because that is a major food source for the Comanche and for mm-hmm. the Native Americans. And so, like, and, like, Martin's it's like, why spiteful. are you doing this? Yeah, like, again, it's just this spiteful action. So then, like, that to then go to, like, a kind of nice act. Like, it's, I don't know. It's, it's fun, I
0: yeah, think. agreed. So the next couple big sequences, the first they actually are able to – ultimately get to see debbie and scar in the tribe there so they have a kind of smaller scene in a cantina where again there was supposed to be some like comedic stuff here which eh, again it's portrayal of like mexican-americans was very stereotypical i just loved all the
2: pattern shirts
0: oh but yeah i I kind of want some of their like
2: the main guy was wearing these like beautiful pattern shirts yeah Yeah. figaro was wearing these beautiful pattern shirts
0: so um but yeah, they basically contract with him to get a whole bunch of men to go to the Comanche tribe's camp where Scar is, so that they can I don't know if it was they wanted to trade for Debbie or they wanted to. Like, I think just they do were recon just kind of or, well,
2: I think Martin's idea is we're gonna scout it and figure out how to get Debbie out, and I think Ethan's idea is we're gonna go in there and figure out how to decimate this place. So I think they've got two different m- motives. There is one scene I want to talk about briefly before that, and that is where they are at the fort like the Mm -hmm. military fort and you've got um, these women who were white women who had been raised under native tribes, whether that was from, I guess, you know, finding the child or I think it's supposed to be a lot of them were gotten in raiding parties and then raised under that culture. And they're like, make all these comments and stuff about like, yeah, well, these women aren't really even white anymore. And I'm like, or maybe they're just traumatized because you came in, raised their village, killed everyone that they knew. And now they're in the fort locked up. Like, I don't know, maybe there's just a lot of trauma that's happened in their lives. And that's why they've all gone a little insane.
1: See, that's the scene that to me is the most cringeworthy um, that, that I have the biggest problem with because Mm -hmm. they're showing the people who, or the women who were captured being hysterical mm-hmm. and, and and just out of their minds, insane, because of the treatment by the Native Americans by the Comanche tribe, and and that's the one that I really cringed on. Yeah, um, and, and to me that was just over the top and heavy handed. And by the end of the movie, I would think back to that scene and I thought, well, maybe it was designed to be a contrast. Between how Debbie was treated, mm-hmm. because obviously Debbie Debbie you
2: know, f- has her full faculties; like she's fine. Oh yeah, right.
1: So was she treated better? Is that trying to 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 you know provide Scar with a little bit of humanity? You know the way they have tried with Ethan with those small touches. Mm-hmm. You know I don't know, but for me that was the cringe worthy scene. Like yeah. I yeah. thought,
2: um, yeah, it's it's one of those things too, where because I'm I'm like I feel like part of this could just be like the trauma of your quote rescue. <laughs>
1: Oh yeah, because something
2: <laughs> tells me that was pretty bad. Oh,
1: that's true. <laughs>
0: mm-hmm.
2: So yeah, I think I agree. I think that is the most cringeworthy scene in the movie, and I it feels very unnecessary.
1: Well, yeah, I right. feel
2: like the only thing it did was introduce the cavalry because in the like the military because there is. And I kind of appreciate that they play with this a little bit because there is the trope in the westerns of the U.S. cavalry riding in at the end and saving everyone, even though it like the entire movie, everyone's like, "Where are they? Where have you been?" So I like the <laughs> idea that they kind of play with them as like being a little behind and like being and maybe buffoons. not fully with it. A little <laughs> bit of buffoons. Like it's kind of like they're playing with this trope, and it provides a little bit more. Yeah, that is nice.
0: So to to talk into delve into the scene at scar's camp a little bit um they do make it in you get some really great dialogue between scar and ethan where um they're talking about knowing like oh you speak really good comanche oh you speak really good english yeah
2: it kind of sets them up as equals and again exactly. that like parallel between their characters because they have a very similar like style of talking to each other too like they it's, they it's use good. very similar tones and mm-hmm. yeah
0: and to specifically the scene inside scar's teepee like this was a expertly constructed scene in my opinion so you have scar and uh his folks on one side and martin and ethan on the other with i think Figueroa is in there as well yeah um, with them. but you see uh, the one thing this film did really well as well is like creating depth in these scenes so you see some folks just kind of hanging out behind ethan and martin um the Conversation progresses, and then all of a sudden, we get a stick with um, scalps that is put yeah. down right well, in front of Ethan. Yeah, and, and it's put
2: right in front of them. So that's like the scalps in the foreground, Ethan and Martin. And then they both slowly look up to see who is holding the stick, and mm-hmm. you see Martin's reaction immediately. And Ethan's like, don't react, don't react. And then we see Debbie. And it's kind of interesting because, like, we have not seen Debbie up to this mm-hmm. point. She's obviously an adult now. But we know immediately that it's Debbie mm-hmm. just purely based on like their reactions, which I think is really cool that they didn't have to be like anyone be like, oh, my God, it's Debbie. Like mm-hmm. we just knew.
0: Yeah. And, and again, that probably my favorite like from a. That's probably my favorite scene in the movie just because of how well done it was. And yeah. it, it was just so interesting and captivating to look at. So. well
2: and then them leaving too without her is so interesting too because it's like the idea of they're like okay we know she's here there's obviously nothing that they can do right at the moment so like they're gonna leave and then they'll they'll figure out what to do and that's when they go back and they like get their posse and they the, is this no is this when they go back for the and those weddings happening no
0: no no this is this is where Figaro is like I don't want any part of this and we're like leaves. smart man. <laughs> And that's when Debbie comes off and is like, hey, Martin, just just leave. These are my people now. Don't yep. want any bloodshed. But um, we now, in that scene specifically, understand that Ethan was absolutely going to shoot Debbie mm-hmm. because now she is Native, like, in his mind, Native American and part of the group that he is, like, persecuting.
2: Yeah, and that's, again, where, like, it's all about, like, the hatred for him and the revenge, and it's not about finding mm-hmm. Debbie anymore, which, like, it still is for Martin, so he's, like, shielding her from Ethan and that also kind of justifies like Martin leaving Lori at that point. You're mm-hmm. like, Oh yeah, mm-hmm. he was right. Like he, he knew what was going to happen and he like, good thing Martin was there.
0: Yes, exactly. So the, uh, Comanche tribe understands what's going on. They have a bit of a shootout without, uh, all of Figaro's men either. So he, yeah. he, he did get out when he needed to. Um, and they end up being able to fend them off from like a position within a cave.
2: When we get a beautiful shot too through kind of the mouth of this yes, cave, and we've exactly. got like Ethan and Martin in the foreground. And then you can see the Comanche warriors in the background kind of charging mm-hmm. at them and stuff.
0: But Ethan gets shot. <laughs> so um, the, the I really appreciated the scene where Martin has to read Ethan's will and testament. Because this, this again, sets up, um, well, one, the suspense that they build by having Martin read it, because, again, we understand that he is a very slow reader um, and has trouble with the word bequeath, for example.
2: <laughs> and Ethan's such an ass about it.
0: Yeah. Yeah. And so it's he, like
2: it's like you're dying. Like calm down. Like the guy's yeah. reading your will.
0: <laughs> uh, but in the end of it, how Martin just explodes about how all of a sudden no, your your next of kin is Debbie. Why? Because well, she... Ethan
2: leaves everything to Martin. Yeah, which right. is like a weird twist in Ethan's character. But it's because it's like he is so mad at the Comanche, and Debbie is so dead in his mind and like no longer related to him that like he's giving everything to Martin, who he previously. And continues to be such an asshole too. like, Mm -hmm. like, that is how much like far his hatred is going is that like his hatred of this thing trumps his hatred of this other thing. And I like that again, Martin is so mad because he's like, Debbie is your next of kin. Like, Debbie is not dead. She is alive. She is healthy. We saw her like we talked to
1: her. But then but that tells you where Ethan is, and that's an echo from from the beginning of the movie yeah um, when he's talking to Martin about his cattle yeah. you know and Martin's saying it's Debbie's cattle mm-hmm. Ethan's no I mean it's it, everything's settled in his mind. Mm-hmm. Yeah.
2: And I do like, so there's been multiple times in this movie where somebody says something to Ethan and he just goes, that'll be the day. And I like when Martin says, <laughs> because after that, Martin just goes, I hope you die. And he just goes, that'll be the day.
0: <laughs> and that scene ends with Martin harumphing off <laughs> <Yeah>. <laughs> again. <laughs>
2: Always harrumphing. This is when we get the wedding.
0: Yes. Now we get the wedding, which that was a really fun scene in the Jorgensen house, seeing all the Such celebration good. and dancing and all of that. So I really do think the Jorgensen like, homestead is serving that like tension the the release of all of that tension and kind of some comedic it's
2: like the the one happy place exactly
0: and i'm glad we were able to come to expect that from <laughs> that household because yeah. this whole wedding scene did have some pretty comedic moments oh yeah to it.
2: it was very funny and extremely well shot because you have ethan and martin show up and paul jorgensen is like um you two need to go because there's a price on your head for murder because when they killed the people who were trying mm-hmm. to rob them cuz the whole thing apparently is they were like they were all shot in the back and i'm like talk to martin about his thoughts on that cause he can explain <laughs> the situation to you but it, he also like wants them to leave cuz it's like Lori's marrying charlie and he's like oh the thing like things are going to go bad like the minute martin's there like things are now going to go
0: bad yeah. Well, and that to, – to gloss over a little bit, but um, Charlie, who's supposed to marry Lori and Martin start to go at it. And yeah. so I do want to call out that some of the the, the f- physicality of the acting with Laurie, Martin, and Charlie was superb. Yeah. Like the way she's getting in between the two men trying to fight – against it and then the whole sequence of getting them out into the yard where they're like taking off their guns and like like, oh no after you after you like we're
2: gonna because she says no fighting in my house and they're like we'll take it outside and then you just have like the shot with that there's like the yard the two buildings and then the open walkway between them and you just see lori sprinting across that walk that (laughs) walkway being like pa reverend clayton
0: i think we both cracked up at that
2: (laughs) yeah um and then they like go out and they have like the fight in the yard and I like how Reverend Clayton asks Charlie he's like is this in line of duty with the rangers Charlie's like no it's personal and the Reverend goes okay carry on then <laughs> Like, it's fine if it's personal. And you have, like, Ma Jorgensen trying to watch it at one point, And Ethan just, like, shoves her back in the house and goes, remember, you're a lady. But I like that he lets Lori just stand there and watch the fight. And she's, like, actually kind of enjoying it a bit, which is funny.
0: Oh, yeah. That close-up with her kind of biting her handkerchief was just... Yeah. <laughs> like, trying to hide things. her
2: smile. And then you have, like, Ma Jorgensen, like, pushing to the window. Like, everyone is watching this fight go down. And at the end, <laughs> they like, I'm not sure anybody wins. They're both just really exhausted being held up and, like... People have to help them shake hands with each other.
1: And Great. I thought it was fun—the little ritual. Because here, Charlie's fiance—I mean, he's losing his fiance when he's about to get married, mm-hmm. and he still takes the time to put a log down and and ask Martin to spit over the log, yeah. get yeah. things started. You know,
2: it is like it's like weirdly ceremonial for just this like knockout drag out fight.
1: But I thought something was really important in that scene too, apart from the fun of it. Um, because y'all were talking about how how everybody likes Laurie. Mm-hmm. Yeah, you know, she's she's the kindest character. She's one of the most f- fun characters. Um, but there when when Martin's getting ready to leave again, you know she tells him, says, you know, don't go. You know what Ethan's gonna do? You know he's gonna put a bullet in her brain. Mm-hmm. Talking about Deb, he's gonna put a bullet in her brain, and Martha would want him to. And yeah, to me, that is that the that one was thing really where you're like because like, oh, it just Lori. showed how pervasive you know, the attitudes for race were. Mm-hmm. I mean, because... Even Laurie's your arguably kind of most
2: likable character, right. like, still has a little bit of that. Yeah, that's the one point where I'm like, Laurie, no! Yeah. I like you so much, don't do this.
0: But we do come to find out through a character of Moe's who we had just have totally oh, not sorry. mentioned this whole one film. more thing. Oh, yeah.
2: There's also one thing about the fight that I really liked, and that's when... Charlie goes, oh, hold on, hold on, Martin. Somebody's fiddle. And there's somebody left their violin lying around. They're just like, Who's, whose fiddle is this? And the guy walks in. They're like, OK, here you go. And then they start fighting again. And I was just like, well, one, that's also just like, if you think about it, instruments would have been so precious. Oh, like, yeah. that is your entertainment. That is other people's entertainment. They've got to be hard to get out there. Like, I, so that just cracks me up, them like pausing the fight because somebody's fiddle. And then I was also like, who just left their fiddle lying around outside? Because that is irresponsible
0: so after the scene we do we've totally glossed over the character of mose this whole time but he is the um
2: say simple. simple
0: is that like i don't want that
2: that is a character that does not age as well because he is definitely like simple and stuff and they use him the as stereotype. comedic. yes he's very much a stereotype and they use him as comedic relief purposes mm-hmm. and there's some stuff he does and says that's a little a little cringy yeah
0: but he is the one that is able to push this last little bit of the movie forward. So mm-hmm. they have a beautifully shot and staged scene with Mose in a rocking chair, not doing so hot. Um, and then the Jorgensen's as well as Martin and Ethan kind of listening to, listening to him tell them where this Comanche tribe is. Where I do like Debbie that he is. won't
2: tell Ethan, though, and he sticks his tongue out at well, Ethan. But he'll tell yeah. Marty.
0: That, yeah. <laughs> <laughs> Again, his character I, doesn't age as well.
2: No. He's so. got he's got like some some like sweet moments, but mm-hmm. in general, it's not it's not great.
0: Yeah, exactly. But that's when we finally get this small. We get one of the cavalry from the U.S. Army, played in. by
2: John Wayne's son
0: and I'm right. Patrick yeah. Wayne. I'm trying to decide if his delivery was just flat or his character was supposed so, to be flat. Patrick,
2: Patrick Wayne, if you've seen any other movie, season with John Wayne. Cause there are a couple, not the best actor. Okay. But I felt like it worked for that character. Cause this character is supposed to be kind of like, of, like he's like a Lieutenant and they make it very clear that he is the captain's son. So it's kind of, and he like, looks like he's supposed to be like, I don't know, like 17 or something. Mm-hmm. So like you're, you get the idea that this is a very green mm-hmm. officer Oh yeah, who's not the brightest. No,
0: after we have Lieutenant Green, Greenhill. I think yeah, it's Greenhill. I think so. The John Wayne's son, who, again, comes off really flat, but it works for this character. <laughs> They're finally going out to, res- quote unquote, rescue Debbie from this Comanche Well, camp.
2: and Ethan wants to just straight ride in and kill everyone. And yeah. then Martin's like, uh, Debbie might get hurt. And he mm-hmm. even says, I think that's the point. Because mm-hmm. like, Ethan's not even trying to hide it anymore. Nope, and care. so the Reverend steps in. Slash, I guess he's acting as captain now, but he's like, yeah, Martin, you can go in and try and get her out because Mm -hmm. it's currently night and you have this beautiful shot of them lowering Martin over the side of this like outcropping. And again,
0: the soundtrack in this amazingly supportive of the the plot and the action on screen.
2: And he Martin is able to sneak in and like wake Debbie up.
0: Well, I do want to, before he actually wakes her up, this, the suspense that they're able to set up, because we see Scar get up, walk outside, because there's a dog barking, which we're like, why is this dog barking? Is it because it knows that Martin's there? I don't know. But Scar doesn't notice anything, just throws a rock at the dog and the dog stops. And so like... This whole scene did such a good job of just letting this slow build of anxiety happen. (laughs) Um, But then, yeah, as, as Maggie said, we finally get. But
2: Debbie, understandably at first when being woken up to a strange person in her tent does scream, but then she like realizes who it is and everything, but it's enough to get scar to come into the tent. And then we just have the shot of Martin pulling the gun and then it do you see the gunshot then or do you hear it after it cuts? I can't remember.
1: I think you see him. Okay, but he he shoots Scar, but I
2: think we don't know if Scar is, like, actually dead yet, Mm -hmm. but then it cuts to Ethan and the Reverend, and they're all like, okay, well, time to go in now. Yep. Uh, Because you start hearing a couple of other shots and, like, commotion and stuff, so then they ride into the camp, and we don't know if Martin's alive, we don't know if Debbie's alive.
0: Really don't know what's going on.
2: Nope. There's a lot of stuff happening.
0: Yeah, but... We do come to understand that Ethan has come in. He comes into Scar's tent.
2: Scar is dead. Yes, so.
0: but then Ethan has to go and begin to scalp Scar. Okay,
2: I like where they do the cut though, and I, I do think too. this is an important thing too because again, we're setting up. Like Ethan and Scar are kind of the same because mm-hmm. his first thing he does is he goes for Scar's scalp, and he like you just see him like kind of like grab the guy by his hair, and he pulls out a knife, and we understand immediately mm-hmm. what's going to happen, and they don't have to show it, and I appreciate that. Yeah.
1: Well, I was curious how y'all would react to that, you know, being younger. Mm-hmm. Um, I don't, because to I me, don't like it. Like it bothered. Well, like, well, well to the... me, it, it's necessary. I mean, to me, that completes the vengeance. That completes the circle mm-hmm. for Ethan. And that's what allows what comes next to happen. Yeah, mm-hmm. You know, without without Ethan being completed, what, what follows with Debbie, I don't think it's possible. Mm-hmm. I think Ethan has to get past Scar. I, I think, think he has to get from past a story
2: issue. standpoint, and from like the way that character is set up and that character arc happens. I think it's like I don't, don't want to say anybody scalping anybody's a good thing, oh, but no, like, no. but you know what I mean. Like it's, it's it it makes sense. It makes sense for his character in yeah. that character arc. But I think it also lends to kind of those themes that we've brought up throughout the movie of the idea that mm-hmm. Scar and Ethan are the same, and that they're both just driven by hatred, and that like ethan who is played by john wayne who was like the western hero like he and every other film i can think of Mm -hmm. is just straight up the hero Mm -hmm. that like he's not playing a good guy this time like this this guy's not good and i think that that just like kind of helps complete that Mm
1: -hmm. well and maggie you didn't really expect ethan to come in and cover him up with a blanket no (laughs) i didn't
2: i didn't and i feel like it's almost like the reason ethan does that is because he's mad he didn't get to kill scar himself
0: yeah, I well, can I see that. I just think he
1: has to. I mean, I just, mm-hmm. I just think, I mean, I just think that's the end of of that five year quest. Mm-hmm. Yeah, I
0: can see it. So then,
2: well, because right before there is also something too. Right before uh, Martin goes in, wants to try and save Debbie. Ethan tries to get him not to by. Basically, being horrible and being like, Yeah, so remember those scalps they showed us? And Martin is like, You can tell me it's Lucy's, you can tell me it's Martha's, that is not going to make me change my mind. And Ethan's like, It was your mom's. To, which I was kind of like, How, how would you know he know? About? But like, it, even that won't stop Martin. Like, mm-hmm. Martin's like, Okay, but like, Debbie's still alive. Like, that is, I, and I think that's why. I, for all of his harumphing and a little bit of his melodrama, we still really like Martin. <laughs> Martin's
1: good.
0: Martin yeah.
2: Martin is actually a good person. Yeah.
0: Mm-hmm. So after we get that completion of Ethan's storyline, we see that Debbie has escaped and is running like as fast as she can away from the camp with Ethan in pursuit. And this is where... I know I was extremely nervous for what was going to happen next because she, again, kind of comes into a cave. So we get that repetition of that same shot again.
2: Booking it through that sand. Oh, my gosh
0: um and
2: props to natalie wood because i'm pretty sure that is just (laughs) natalie wood running through the sand i don't think they would have stunt doubled that
0: probably not it's just running um but you have ethan right up and you're like oh no what's about to happen Um, when
2: you see martin kind of running down the hill mm -hmm. too after it but he can't catch up and so we're like martin you need to get there you need to get there
0: so all of the tension that they're building here and ethan finally gets to debbie picks her up and we're like oh no what's about to happen but he, ultimately, he, like, lowers her into his arms and is like, okay, let's go home. Yeah, he here. says, come on,
2: Debbie, let's go home.
0: And, like, the interpretation of the previous scene with Scar, where that's, like, the completion of Ethan's, I, I guess, revenge, um, that, I think, does help me stomach this, like, immediate change of heart in Ethan I don't better. think it's
2: immediate, though, because there is a moment where he looks like he is going to kill her. <laughs> and it's almost like, but, like, now he's looking at her and he's like, this is Debbie. Like, it's... Right. It's like he can't, he can't do it. Like he sees it in the end that, like that is Debbie.
1: Mm-hmm. Well, my, my feeling was that once he got past the scar thing, through the scalp, and once he got past that, that it was never really about um, Debbie becoming a Comanche. It was about denying the Comanche. So scars dead. He has scar scalp. He has Debbie it kind of echoes back to the buffalo scene mm-hmm. where he's shooting the buffalo to deny the comanche the the food um to me that was always the biggest issue that that it wasn't enough for him to kill them he he wanted to deny them mm-hmm. yeah. and, i mean um, i
2: think you, even at the beginning when they're like going to look for debbie like it was never about finding debbie for ethan ever like it was yeah. just pure like i'm going to go kill scar and i'm going to go like kill mm-hmm. some comanche like it was completely hate driven like there was there was no love for Debbie featuring into any of it. No,
1: they took they they took her. He was going to take him back. He was going to get him yeah. get her back away from the Comanche. If she was young, fine, but he was going to deny them what they were after. Mm-hmm. I think that's how complete his hate was.
2: Yeah.
0: So then we get a beautiful ending scene, mm-hmm. which, as Maggie alluded to earlier, it bookends the beginning. So you have Debbie and Martin. And the Jorgensen's able to come inside the Jorgensen household, inside the door in shadow, when we have Ethan still out on the plains, just looking in. And the fact that they have the door close on Ethan. Well,
2: he turns and walks away first. Like, he just walks away. Yeah, he
0: is like, I don't want a part of that.
2: And then the door. Well, I think it's almost like he has no he has no place there because the Jorgensen household is a place of like. Love and Mm. kindness that has been established except for the one thing Laurie said that made us be like, Laurie, no. Mm
1: -hmm.
2: But in general, like, that is a happy place. Ethan is not a happy, kind person, Mm. and he has no place there. He has no place with those people. He, you know, his revenge has been completed, so he doesn't even have, like, his revenge and his hate anymore, really. And, like, there's... Because he is still so stuck in the past that they kind of establish with, like... Him saying that, like I made my oath to the Confederacy and stuff, like he 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 has no place anymore. Like mm-hmm. his his causes are all gone. Like he has no place in this world. So well, and he him with decent people, dis- right? Yeah. So you him know, walking off into the distance is yeah, yeah, the one good thing.
1: final act is nice, but you know that doesn't make you a decent person. Mm-hmm. It takes more than that one good final act with Debbie, you yeah. know, not killing her. I mean, yeah. that's kind of a low bar that your one decent act is <laughs> not, not killing, killing somebody, a member of your own family, yeah. you know, but, um, yeah, he, <laughs> it's he a just very low bar. Part.
2: It's such a low <laughs> bar.
1: And we see some low bars nowadays, <laughs> but, but yeah, that's definitely a low bar, but, um, he just doesn't belong there. Mm-hmm.
2: Yeah. I think it's the, like the absolute perfect ending, both cinematography
0: from a
1: cinematography perspective,
0: that one.
2: <laughs> and like story wise. Oh yeah. It is one of the the best endings, I Mm -hmm. think.
1: But see to me too, this movie doesn't have a happy ending. You know, it's just
2: No, it has a perfect ending, but it's not a happy ending.
1: It's as good as it could be. Because I mean, even if you
2: think about it, like transitioning back to that life is gonna be tough for Debbie. Mm -hmm. Like
0: Well, and arguably, like she's
2: been through stuff.
0: She also kind of seemed to not want to be rescued. So I in some sense it was almost like this happened still against her will. So not only was she having to go through the trauma of being ripped away from her family as a child, like now she's going through the trauma of being ripped away from her new family. Right. Yeah. So I, I
2: mean, yeah, I mean, you could
0: argue that the act of quote unquote rescuing her was, are you really,
2: like, are you really rescuing her? Like from their view, they're rescuing her, but are they really actually rescuing? Yeah.
1: Well, and again, there's the, that, that similarity between scar and and john wayne scar Mm -hmm. stole debbie john wayne steals her back Mm -hmm. you know and and debbie's the one who's the victim in both cases
0: yeah Mm -hmm. so anyway loved loved this movie it's (laughs) very good it is
2: a very good film and again and like i i like around the world in 80 days fine i love david niven (laughs) but
1: yeah how does that win and
2: this isn't even nominated for anything
1: so, what were the other nominations?
2: Um, I'll look them up really quickly.
0: Um, so while Maggie's doing that, I do want to shout out to all of the amazing stunt riding that went on in this entire film.
2: That is one of my favorite things about westerns is like the stunt riding is amazing. It was fantastic
0: amazing. and like the the climbing up all of the different terrain and the way that they're able to I guess ditch for lack of a better word when they get shot or their horses quote unquote get shot is like it's great. So that that was a sight to behold in and of itself in some of those more chaotic scenes. So, um, again, we didn't really touch on it, but that was a really, really cool thing to see.
2: Yeah. I, the classic like shootouts and stuff aren't really like a factor in this movie in the way they are a lot of Westerns. Um, it's fun. We'll watch Silverado again if we <laughs> want to see more stunt riding and like good, good shootouts.
1: Then I like the long shots. Yeah. And, and that's one reason, I spoke about me thinking this is a movie about America, it really kinda encapsulates. Mm-hmm. But that's because it shows the bigness of the country. Yeah. And and y'all have traveled a lot around the world. Mm-hmm. Um, so you know the difference here. I mean, yeah. if you get away from the coast and you're driving through instead of flying over, you you just forget how mm-hmm. big the country is, how much space there is. And I thought they did a really good job of showing that, yeah. you know, through the cinematography. Yeah.
2: So other nominees from that year it was Around the World in Eighty Days, which won Friendly Persuasion, Giant, The King and I, and The Ten Commandments. I agree. I know, right?
1: <laughs> you know, I, I can see The Ten Commandments.
2: But like, okay, that movie is so boring, though. Like, yes, it mm. has it has the whole like epic factor going mm-hmm. for which we've talked about several times on this podcast about how like. Man, the Oscars love an epic, and they love like a grand historical epic. And for a, like a decade there, they loved a biblical epic. But man, yeah. the Ten Commandments is tough to sit through. Well,
1: I can see the nomination, but I don't see it winning.
2: Giant, I haven't seen The King and I. I it's another one. It's a very pretty film, but I just and I love Yul Brynner. But I prefer my <laughs> Yul Brynner as a cowboy. So, Magnificent Seven. That had no recognition with you Yeah,
0: I'm. I'm just staring at Maggie blankly with a smile, like I don't know what why I? I tried.
2: <laughs> Friendly persuasion. I'm not familiar with, but I like the fact that it wasn't nominated blows me away because I would over any of those that I have seen, I would have the searchers winning. Mm-hmm.
1: But you know, I wonder too if part of it is the message of the film because in 1956, I mean, this was a. I would expect that it would be a daring subject. Like, like, we're here in, in 2019 saying, well, it didn't go far enough. it's still mm-hmm. used too many of to the stereotypes. But imagine in 1956 where where yeah. they were really confronting racism. I mean, mm-hmm. it was a time of huge cultural well, changes. Well, I mean,
2: you, even, yeah. like, you haven't had, like, the big civil rights legislation. Like, that's still a decade away at that right. point. So
1: Right. And I, mean, and, and I
2: don't know if anyone was talking about, like, the... Treatment of Native Americans by like the U.S. government or mm-hmm. like white settlers at that point.
1: Well, you weren't, and you're just a few years after integration of the military after World War II. You know, so so the topic of race is is beginning, mm-hmm. and you have you know the 1950s trying to hold every everything back the conservatism.
2: Which I honestly uh, we see in like looking through the list of pictures that were nominated and won in the 1950s, like that decade in film. My biggest like beef with it and into the early 60s is that I'm like, it's Hollywood trying to stay the same. Whereas like, especially when you get towards end of 50s into early 60s, like the stuff that's nominating, like getting nominated and winning just doesn't follow like what is happening culturally at the time. Mm -hmm. Like there's and I can't remember what year it is, but like there's a year that Dr. Strangelove got nominated and I was like, they nominated Dr. Strangelove? It didn't win, (laughs) but I was shocked it got nominated, which apparently... No, it wasn't this one. Oh, but this was one cool little um, tidbit that I found that I thought was hilarious. So Mel Brooks offered John Wayne the role (laughs) of the Waco kid in Blazing Saddles, which is played by uh, Gene Wilder. And he's amazing in that. And John Wayne turned it down because he didn't think that like, the swearing and like the dialogue, like the I think it was like the dirty language or something fit with his like, family friendly outward image <laughs> but he did tell mel brooks he would be first in line to see the movie
1: well uh, just how much fun would that have been you know i don't, we don't know because we saw,
2: we saw john wayne try and do comedy in true grit and it's not a well, great that's true. look that's
1: true. and gene wilder and gene wilder yeah. <laughs> well i was thinking of john wayne playing it straight not trying to be funny uh, but trying to play i don't it straight.
2: i don't know if he would be capable of not trying to play that funny i don't know that's an that's an interesting thought experiment. <laughs>
1: So, but now y'all watched all the all the uh, winners uh, prior to 1956, and talking about this movie being kind of daring, think of all the cringe moments you've had watching those mm. because of, of the race oh, racial stereotypes. Oh, just think
2: about the last Western we did, Cimarron.
1: Right, <laughs> that and, one
2: is that one is maybe the wor- one of the worst ones I've ever seen. I'm hesitant to say the worst because I've seen mm. some bad. Like if you watch old film and you like old film, like. You've seen very cringeworthy, upsetting stuff, or but I think Cimarron, Cimarron, might be the worst one I've seen. Yeah,
1: right. But I think that stands out in this movie. How how much less of that you get mm-hmm. with this movie? You, you know, definitely, to the you definitely
2: see progress in this movie. And honestly, it was earlier than I thought it was going to be. When I was looking at the date for it, I was expecting mm-hmm. it to be like '60s. I was a little surprised that it was '50s. Mm-hmm.
1: Well, and Martin's a progressive character, you know, he's he's not only mixed race, but he's hopeful, he's optimistic. Mm -hmm. And he is, he
2: is the true hero of the film. So even if it is that he's like only like an eighth Cherokee and he's definitely played by just like a white Mm -hmm. actor. So like could be better, but in the context of the time, also Mm -hmm. like very interesting that he is in fact set up as like our hero and Mm -hmm. likable and the person who is in the right and is supposed to be a mixed race character.
1: Yeah. Well, and this was less than a hundred years from the civil war and they were finally, you know, addressing race head on. Um, because, well, uh, this is something i i, I just find interesting, but the civil war, um, we had it, Americans, there were over 600,000. I think it was like 600 somewhere between 600,000 and, and 650,000 American soldiers died during the, um, civil war. Um, that's almost as many as all the other U S wars combined, mm-hmm. you know, world war two, um, it was like 480,000, mm-hmm. you know, and that was with all the mechanized, you know, um, machinery and all. So when people talk about, about the, the shame of the central shame of America are the biggest issue we have to confront and overcome. It is race. I mean, mm-hmm. it is racial relations.
0: So anyway, um, Definitely, I I enjoyed it. I would recommend the searchers. And I think we all recommend it, is my guess. Yeah. (laughs) Yeah. So cool. Great. Well, thank you for bearing with us on a slightly longer than normal uh, (laughs) episode of the best pictures. There's a lot to talk about. There is a lot, a lot to digest in this film.
2: Okay, so our next episode will be up in two weeks. Don't know what it's going to be because we're recording this a little bit early. But, uh, in the meantime, you can find us on Instagram and Twitter. We're at best pictures pod on both. We'd love to hear from you guys. You can also email us in at bestpicturespod@gmail.com. at gmail.com. Getting emails from listeners is like absolutely our favorite thing about doing this. It always makes us smile always like makes our, our day our week even. So thank you. For um, anyone who's written in and to anyone who hasn't, we'd love to hear from you. Also, if you could rate, subscribe, review, especially rate and review, that really helps us uh, move up charts and it helps uh, other people find us as well.
0: Absolutely. And thank you again for Mr. Kelp for coming and recording with us. It's yeah, been thanks. a pleasure. Thank you. <laughs> and with that, listen to us next time when we return to, as Maggie puts it, our canonical episodes.